0: Morning. How many visitors this morning? Any visitors? Where are y'all from? West Virginia? How long did it take y'all to get down here? Three hours, yeah. What part of West Virginia? How close is that to Charleston? Okay. Come down to eighty-one or seventy-seven or seventy-seven, yeah. Okay. Good to meet you. Anyone else? First-time visitors. Okay. Well, uh, as a reminder, the uh, that Bible study that we do once a month, March 9th, not March second, second week this month of uh, March, <clears throat> and uh, we'll go back to normal schedule after that. First, it'll be the first Saturday. Remember, if you're going to, if you're who's who's planning on attending that. Okay. Um, just remember. I don't know if Brooklyn has a sign-up sheet out there or not. But just know what you're going to bring. You know, you know the drill. Bring some food. S- starts at five o'clock. So, all right. Good to see you, Sister Berna. I bet you are. Yeah. Good to see you. Right, well, we'll go ahead and get started for the Barry. Would you open us up, please? Our
1: Father, we've found your presence, Lord. We ask you to come into our midst today. We need you, Lord. We need to hear from you with your precious word. Some of us have been beat up this week, and we need to be refueled, need our hearts encouraged. And I pray that you would use your man, my Father, your teacher open up the scripture, that we might take it into our soul, apply to our life. Pray for our pastor, Lord. Pray to touch him physically, spiritually. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint him as he stand, and preach. And my Father, I pray you put a your protection about him, Lord. And my Father, for all that you do, you will be very, very careful so with our unworthy head.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, here we are in Romans chapter 3. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Now, we see we talked about last week, Paul began to talk about the circumcision of the heart as he uh, ended here in chapter 2. We'll just back up verse 2 chapter 2 verse 28 for he is not a jew which is one outwardly neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh but he is a jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of god so we talked about last time how that uh, the jew was in a mess at the end of the chapter chapter uh two and so now we're going to get into chapter three which is one of the most doctrinal Packed chapters in all the Bible as far as the church age is concerned and justification by faith, and he begins dealing with everyone, everyone's in a mess. Okay, not just the Gentile, not just the Jew, but everyone's in a mess. But he's going to begin his argument here, if you will, about talking about the Jew. But just to backtrack here, he's talking about, let's look at verse 1. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Okay, and so as a review, we go here to look at the Gentiles. Can you hear me? Good. Good. Okay, so when we look at the Gentiles and how God revealed himself to the Gentile prior to the cross, we understand it through his creation, all right? The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth its handiwork, right? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, so the creation, and we talked about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Okay, so they can see those things in the heavens so God would reveal himself to the Gentile through his creation but the problem with creation it's under a curse Genesis chapter 3 okay? through a man's conscience we talked about that Romans 2.15 that means what? it means with knowledge okay? so they had some knowledge of some things Okay, um, but the problem with the man's conscience is that it can be seared it can be defiled 1 Timothy 4.2 so you've got a problem with a man's conscience, okay? Um, he could reveal himself through dreams and visions in the Old Testament. You see that over here with uh, Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6. Uh, that's when he comes to him. He was going to take Abraham's wife, Sarah, and God comes to him in a dream, okay? But the problem with a man's dreams, and who, who else can infiltrate a dream? Well, Satan, Lucifer, fiery darts of the wicked. He can infiltrate. He can be deceptive in that, okay? The prophets... You have the prophets in the Old Testament. you got, you got Balaam over here in Numbers 24:16. He prophesies about the coming Messiah, the star of Jacob, all those things, right? But when the, what happens to the prophet here is he later gets tricked because of filthy lucre. So money is deceptive to him. Okay, so for love of money is the root of all evil. And he begins to teach Balak how to, how, how to get God to curse the children of Israel because God won't curse them himself so he he casts a stumbling block you got first kings i'm going through these things quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover first kings chapter 13 if you want to look at that passage you got a young man from uh he's uh from uh, bethlehem judea he goes down and he preaches a message to jeroboam look at first kings chapter 13 First Kings chapter 13. Look at verse 11. Now, this is after the man of God from Judah preaches a great message to Jeroboam, and he sees he, he has power in his preaching, and he's, he's definitely sent there. But then he starts to listen to somebody else other than what the Word of God told him to do. Look at verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came, and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Then they told also to, to, their, uh, to their father, and their father said unto them, what, what way went he? For his sons had seen the way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass, and so they saddled the ass, him and the ass, and he rode thereon. And he went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God, that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come, come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go, in, the, go uh, in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it said to me, By the word of the Lord... Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to the, to go thy to go thy way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet, also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, say Bring bring him back with me into thine house that he may <clears throat> that he may eat drink and or eat bread and drink water, but he lied unto him, so the prophets can lie, can't they? Is this guy is this guy's another prophet, he's a man of God, but can he lie? You better believe he can. And so, you see this right here, I'm not going to take the time to, um, to take all the passage, because we'll, we'll take up all the time, but what happens is, this old man of God, this old prophet comes and he lies to the young man. And he tells him to disobey what the word of God said, and he says, listen to me, oh, and, and by the way, an angel came and spoke to me. So, I'm just like you are, and I I got some extra biblical revelation given here. You need to listen to me. What happens is that God kills that young man of God from Judah because he he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Was he a prophet? Yes, he was. But he was a deceiver. He is a liar. Now look at this here. Look how this correlates up here number 5 through angels. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 12, twelve, Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twelve. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into what, an angel of light. Okay, so just because some angel comes along, or somebody says they got some extra biblical revelation from an angel, what do you you have to bounce those things off of? The Word of God. Can anybody think of two major religions started by somebody supposedly speaking to an angel? Mormonism and Islam. Okay, those are two right off the top of my head. Okay, so you can see here how God revealed himself to the Gentile, but there's a problem with those things in there because those things can be deceptive in and of themselves. Okay? If you're looking at the wrong things, but he says, Unto the Jew was given the oracles of God. Okay? It's that word? Oracles. The root word is oral from the mouth. Right? Holy, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now we're going to look at some references here about the Word of God. Number one, it's pure. Pure words. Let's go to Psalm 12. As Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Look at Psalm 12. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay? So the word of God is pure. It's pure. And it's preserved. Okay? Just like... Salt, okay. Let your let your answers be with uh, be given with grace, seasoned with salt. Okay, I think I quoted that wrong. It's in Colossians, but you get the point. Salt, it's a purifier and it's a preserver. Okay, that's why that salt was to be added to some of those uh, Levitical sacrifices there in the book of Leviticus. Okay, but you see that it's pure and it's preserved. So number one thing you have to ask yourself is, did God preserve His Word? Did He or did He not preserve His Word? Okay? And that's that's one of the biggest arguments that you can throw at anybody who starts talking about different versions of the Bible and all that kind of stuff like, is God a liar? Well, He can't lie. So if He said He'd preserve His Word, then we must have it somewhere. You either have it or you don't have it. And that's where the argument starts. Okay? Anything other than that, it's just it's a bunch of frivolous nonsense. Anyway, try, just vain words men are trying to use. Okay. So you gotta, you got to get that settled in your heart. So it's pure words. Well, let's look at this one. It gives light. It gives understanding. Let's look at Psalm 119. That first one I got settled in my heart right away. I knew that this book was different than the other Bibles that I had. It spoke to me. Psalm 119, verse 130, look at this here, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. So the word of God gives light, gives understanding. As Paul says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. When you got saved, you could now see the deeper things of the Word of God. Any lost man can see that he has a need for a Savior if he reads the Bible. But as far as the deep things of God, you cannot get that until you are born again. Okay? So it gives light. Let's look at uh, truth. We don't even need to go there. John 17:17 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Number one, once again, do you have God's Word? If you got God's word, then you have his truth, right? It gives light. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8. It gives life. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Then he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know. That man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out, out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, who quotes that verse in the New Testament? The Lord Jesus Christ, when in his temptation, so gives life. He says, "I have meat that you know that you know not of." It's the word of God. He is the bread of life. Right. This here can give you life. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right. So. The Bible can give you life. It keeps you from sinning. Look at Psalm 119. Once again, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, which my whole heart hath sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God will keep you from sinning. The more that you have it hidden in your heart, the more correction you're going to have in your life. It's going to keep you within the lines, right? Anytime you start thinking about going over here, the, Lord, the word of the Lord strikes you right dead in your heart. Okay? Now here's an interesting thing about Psalm 119. By the way, this will put you under conviction. who knows who David Livingstone is? Famous English Englishman. He was an explorer, but one of the greatest missionaries to Africa. Victoria Falls, all those things. He's the one who discovered those, okay? But by the age of nine, he memorized the entire Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in all the Bible. Age of 9, so that should put you under conviction. Alright, there's 176 verses in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Well, if you take 176 divided by 16, it's 11. 16, 11. I guess that's just a coincidence. all about the Word of God. And it gives you the alphabet in Psalm 119. You'll see it as if, at the top of the headings. There's, there's 22 chapters, Psalm 119. And the last book in your Bible has 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. It concludes it. That's just a little something there, a little extra nugget, okay? All right. So that's some of the things of the Word of God, so you have the pure words of God. Okay? Either you have it or you don't. Let's flip this back over. Notice he said the oracles of God. Talked about holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> let's, turn to, uh, let's turn to Job. I think it's thirty two eight. <clears throat> Look at Job thirty two eight. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. Now, what was one of the things it said in Psalm 119? It gives light and it gives understanding. The Word of God. Is so that word inspiration? Inspiration. There's two times that word shows up in your Bible. One is here. The other is 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. Profitable, for doctrine, for proof, correction, destruction, righteousness, right? See that word right there, inspiration? Well, in the Greek it means it's this. Theonoustos. Got a brother right here, he's Greek. He can correct me. Theos, God. Okay. Nustos. anybody ever heard of a pneumatic drill? Okay? Pneuma. That's the wind. That's air. God breathed. <clears throat> now, how did Adam become a living soul? God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Remember we talked about the Word of God? What does it give? It gives life. How do you get born again? You're begotten by the what? By the Word of God. So it's given by inspiration of God. You've heard a lot of times in... Somebody will say the inspired, inherent, fallible word of God and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, it says it's given by inspiration. It means God breathed it. Now, either you have what God said or you don't have what God said. All right? So these things are given to us as a gift. Right? He said it's a more sure word of prophecy. So the Lord gave these Old Testament prophets. When he spoke, they wrote it down. Amen? okay and so that's what we have that inspiration of god is we have the word of god and so we have the truth of god and therefore we know what is truth and what is error what is fact and what is fiction based off the word of god and that was given to who that was given to the jew the bible that you have is a jewish book okay who's who's ever heard that luke was a gentile i know you have brother a lot of folks, that's A.T. Robertson out of Louisville Seminary up there in Louisville, Kentucky, that came up with that idea that Luke was a Gentile and it's a bunch of stuff that you get out of thin air. This book here, the oracles of God were given to the Jew. and So thank God for the Jew, okay? And, we, and he said they're beloved for the Father's sake, okay? So we have a Jewish book. The Roman Catholic Church would, would try to claim that we wouldn't have a Bible if it wasn't for them. <laughs> No, we wouldn't have a Bible if it wasn't for the Jew. <clears throat> if they weren't obedient to the to the Lord and wrote down what he said for them to wrote that to write down, even though many times they didn't even understand what they were writing down. They just said, Okay, write it down. Okay. So we have the finished word of God here in front of us and what's given to us. So let's look at verse 2, uh, Romans Romans 3:2, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Okay. Well, let's let's take this let's make this a practical application to Americans. What v- advantage do you have as an American? Well, when you were given the oracles of God, you either have it or you don't. Right? When they came over here in 1620 in the Mayflower, they had the Geneva Bible, which is about 98-99% the same as the King James Bible. There's a few differences, um, but it comes from the same Greek manuscripts that this one does. Okay, The major difference, I can, I can show you what it is, Go to Acts 12.4, I'll show you the difference. It's a good Bible, but it's just not, it's not complete. You can go to any of them, you can look at them. John Knox was the, uh, was the editor, if you will, on the Geneva Bible. That's why keep, one of the reasons King James wanted an English translation, because he hated the Presbyterians and he hated the Scots, so he wanted his own Bible. Okay, and thank God he did. Look at Acts twelve four, and when he had apprehended him and put him in prison and delivered him to the four cohorts of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. The uh, Geneva Bible takes that word Pasha and they translate it Passover. Okay, which is which is not the case with then with, the King James translators. I won't go into all of it, but they understood this as a pagan festival, Easter. Is a pagan festival. It means it comes from Ishtar, Astarte, many different names. Queen of Heaven. You've seen that, in Jeremiah. Okay, Queen of Heaven. She's also known by Diana, the greatest of goddess Diana. All those things. That's who she is. You've heard of the Ishtar. If you've ever heard of the Ishtar Gate in Babylon. Okay, that's what that is. So they understood that this thing was taking place Herod was a pagan and he was going to a pagan festival okay so the King James translator saw that looking at the context they said it's not a it's not the Passover it's Easter because it can be translated either way does that make sense okay so that's the major difference between the Geneva and there's a few others the Geneva and the King James so is the Geneva a pretty good Bible yeah it is but it's not The whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Okay? Amen? So that right there, so in 1620, you know, pilgrims, they came over on the Mayflower, and they had with them a Geneva Bible, because that's what they had at the time. The King James had just come out in 1611, but their whole purpose was to what? Spread the gospel. They fled religious persecution from Europe. If you didn't sprinkle babies, you were persecuted. So they came over to the New World to spread the Gospel. If you read the Mayflower Compact, that is the main purpose of them coming. Amen? And from that point, that was firmly established. Now, we're not going to get into the history of the founders and the differences, but here it is. So that takes place in 1620, okay? And around 1730 to 1740, we've got what is called the Great Awakening. A great Awakening takes place. You had three men that were mainly um, connected with that. First one is uh, Gilbert Tennant. Who's ever heard of Princeton University? Okay, in 1896, the, the, the uh, college, quote-unquote, that his father started. It was called Log College, and it was a trained Presbyterian minister's Hebrew, Greek, theology, Train them to be ministers. Okay, in eighteen ninety-six that thing later became Princeton. Okay, that's Gilbert Tennant. Alright, you have Jonathan Edwards. Who's ever heard of the sinners in the hands of an angry God? That sermon. Okay, that's Jonathan Edwards. Okay, and then we have a man by the name uh, George Whitfield. Who's ever heard of George Whitfield? Okay, some would call him America's spiritual founding father. Came over from England, came from Oxford, he's Oxford-trained, but he became a Methodist uh, with John Wesley, and it's a, I'm not going to get all, all the history of George Whitefield, but he would preach to millions of people, and millions would be converted under his ministry. Along with these men here, Jonathan Edwards kind of kicks it off <coughs> with that sermon, Sinners of, in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, Gilbert Tennant, his his main work was uh, the dangers of an unconverted ministry. Okay, and then here comes George Whitfield, and a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Who's ever heard of him? Okay, he would print this man and this man. He would print their sermons in his newspaper. And at that time, the, the revivalists, the evangelists, were that was Taylor Swift of that day. Everybody wanted to read what George, see the difference? What George Whitfield had to say, what Gilbert Tennant what Jonathan Edwards, what they were preaching. And so Benjamin Franklin would print those things in his newspaper, okay, and actually made him independently wealthy because of that. And he was friends with George Whitfield, even though he was never converted, and that's sad. George Whitfield he had such a great voice that it, it was said by Benjamin Franklin as he was preaching in Boston Common that he stood a country mile outside of the, of the city and you can still hear George Whitfield preaching, open air preaching. Okay, and that was, that was these men here. Okay, and so America got started off right, it, it, it turned from traditionalism to revivalism. And people started being convicted of their sin, personally, and brought under conviction, and then conversion, the right way. And it all happened, and they were all preaching, guess what book? That's all you had, 1611, authorized version. Alright, so we, we, well, that's the Great Awakening, and then next big event, you had about, around 1800, you had the Cumberland Revival, and then it, that kind of kicked off the second Great Awakening, um, and you had some, some men that were saved at this event here, it's up here in the Cumberland, right, right up here in Kentucky. Okay, that's where that thing took place, you had men like uh, this man here, Peter Cartwright, he talked about going to this. It was the America's first camp meeting right up here, right up here in Kentucky. It was, well, hard to camp meetings, right? Well, he, he got to attend those things, and he said there was between 25 to 30,000 people that would attend these things because you have to understand at that time in America, a lot of these, what they're called, itinerant preachers, okay, they're circuit-riding preachers. They would go around because there wasn't established churches, so they would only get to get preached to once a month or so. So then they'd have this big camp meeting, and all these preachers would come out. Peter Cartwright, he gets converted at one of these at this meeting here. But he said that there was 30,000 people. There were seven stages set up, and preachers all around preaching the word of God. And they were anywhere from Baptists to Methodists to Presbyterians, and they're all preaching the gospel, the grace of God. Okay. You had a mixture, and this is what I, you have to understand about early America. I know we're getting into history here, but early America, you either had, you pretty much fell in one of the two camps. You were either Arminian, which means you believe you could lose your salvation, or you were Calvinist, or a moderate Calvinist, thinking the belief is that you cannot lose your salvation. Whitfield was a Calvinist, okay? Wesley was an Arminian. Peter Cartwright was an Armenian, okay? These men here, Gilbert Tennant, Jonathan Edwards, they were Calvinist. They were moderate Calvinists. They weren't hard, hard uh, hardcore five-point Calvinists. In other words, they didn't focus their ministry on the theological ideas of Calvinism, nor did John Wesley focus his whole ministry on whether or not you could lose your salvation. Now, I'll tell you what it did for the Methodists. It caused holy living. If you believe you could lose it, you're gonna live right, aren't you? right? So, and I know that both of these, and we understand, I, I, I differ obviously on both of these, okay? You've got to rightly divide the word of truth, but God still used them in spite of that fact. So that's one thing you have to take into account, just because somebody might lean Calvinist or might lean Arminian, God can still use them. Don't get so cocky and arrogant in your Baptist theology that you think you got it all right. Because I can tell you right now, in America, the, the Great Awakening, the, the Cumberland Revival, most of that stuff was preached by Methodists and Presbyterians. Not Baptists. We come in on the coattails. Okay, The work that these men did back here, we're benefiting from that today. Sunday school came from this. Cumberland Revival. That's where Sunday school began to get formed. Okay, wasn't a Baptist thing. Understand? So that's some church history there. Um, let me, let's, let's talk about some other men who came along. So what benefit is it to be an American? Much chief, chiefly every way, because unto us was given the oracles of God. The things that were taking place over here in America, they're still lasting today. We're still riding the coattails. The reason Temple Baptist is here is because work that was done way back then. All right. So we had those uh, those those men there. Uh, You've heard of Sheffy. Um, He was another circuit riding preacher in this area, Methodist. Okay. You also had uh, this man by the name of sam jones we have dl moody sam jones was a great evangelist in the south uh, after the civil war okay he was a lawyer first he gets converted he was a sot drunk gets converted turns into one of the america's greatest evangelists dl moody who hasn't heard of dl moody okay he was converted in a sunday school class by while he was sitting there as a child and uh, I can't remember the brother's name right now, but he was converted in Sunday school class. And the Sunday school, his basically testimony about D.O. Moody was, if anybody could be in, who, who could have been basically the worst candidate for salvation, it was D.O. Moody. And D.O. Moody got saved and then went on to do great works, not only here, but over in England. And guess what Bible they used? 1611, King James Bible, okay? Uh, we've got D.L. Moody, we've got, um, let's see here, who's ever heard of Bob Jones, Bob Jones University, Greenville, South Carolina, okay, he comes in after these men, he's, he's kind of coming into the 20th century, uh, Bob Jones was a great evangelist, guess what he was, Methodist, Get to this guy, Methodist. Okay? We got these men coming in here. He was only uh, Bob Jones, he only preached to smaller crowds than this man right here Billy Sunday. Who's ever heard of Billy Sunday? Everybody's heard of Billy Sunday, right? Okay? Billy Sunday was converted at a mission in Chicago. He uh, was a professional baseball player for eight years. You can look him up in the record books. He still has a record for 246 stolen bases. Okay, father was, his father was, he was orphaned when he was young. His father fought in the Civil War. He died, his mother couldn't take care of him, so sent him and his brother off to an orphanage. Had bad circumstances. Got picked up in, in professional baseball because he was a good ball player. Okay, Billy Sunday gets converted at that mission. Lord begins to work on his heart. He begins, he begins to slowly pull away from professional baseball and then he he gives it up completely and he works for the YMCA. Who's ever heard of the YMCA? Okay, for $83 a month, Billy Sunday begins to work for them and then he begins preaching evangelistic crusades throughout America. Millions of people are saved under Billy Sunday. Mordecai Ham is another one. Why am I giving you this history? Because you need to know where you come from. You need to know who came before you. Mordecai Ham, these two men right here, they say preached prohibition into existence in America. Billy Sunday in the north, Mordecai Ham in the south. There was a man that was converted under Mordecai Ham in a tent ministry. His name, Billy Graham. There's a Baptist. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Who hasn't heard of Billy Graham? Okay? we had got some others. Who's ever heard of C.I. Schofield? Well, who hasn't? You've probably got his Bible set in your lap. Okay? C.I. Schofield was a Congregationalist. Did a great work. He was a Civil War Cavalry officer. He was a SOT drunk as well. I believe he was a lawyer. He gets converted. Does one of the greatest works in uh, modern day Christian history. And like I said, who has a Schofield reference Bible here? An old Schofield, right? Well, there's fruit of it right there, okay? So we got C.I. Schofield, did a great work. Who's ever heard of Clarence Larkin? Clarence Larkin, Dispensational Truth, okay? Finished in, I think, 1916. All right, if you're pre-millennial, you've probably read Clarence Larkin. Did a great work. God gave him a lot of light. Okay? Who's ever heard of this man here? J. Frank Norris. J. Frank Norris. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay. The reason that you have independent Baptist churches? Because of this man right here. He pulled his church out of the out of the Southern Baptist Convention and he went on his own path and he stuck to the book. 1611 Authorized Version. That's your heritage. Amen? Who's ever heard of this guy? Peter Ruckman. Oh, there's a curse word. Who's ever heard of that guy? Biggest defender of the King James Bible in the modern era. Amen? Dr. Peter S. Ruckman. I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for that man. You hear me getting a little choked up? had a great impact. Brother Barry, did have an impact on you? Our pastor? Roger Lee, some of these men? That's right, because he stuck to the stuff, man. He didn't back down, he didn't waver, he wasn't intimidated by scholarship. Just like this man. This man here was a friend of Harry S. Truman. One of the reasons that Harry S. Truman recognized Israel as a state is because J. Frank Norris influenced him. Amen. Peter Ruckman. Okay. Many fr- much fruit has been, hap- has been uh, continued on with him. Okay, but all these men had something in common. That book, Oracles of God, were given to, to America. Now the question is what have we done with it? Amen. What have we done with it? That's the question we all have to answer for someday. Alright, so that's just a little bit of, of American church history, some of your lineage, some of why uh, where these things come from. Okay? Amen. Let's go back to Romans. We got about five minutes. I think it's important, I I, I love history. I think it's important that you understand where it is that you came from. Because if you don't understand where it is that you came from, you don't know where you're going. One of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did when he came into Jerusalem was he took things out of the temple. He destroyed their national identity. What do you think is taking place now? He changed their language. He destroyed their national identity. What's happening in America? Our language is being... You ever listen to a kid talk? I don't even know what they're saying half the time. That's cap. What is that even... What is, who's ever heard of that? Some of the stupid things I've heard to come out of their mouths, I go, what is that? Well, if you can dumb down the language, if you can change the language, you change the culture. If you can tear down the history, there goes the country. Amen? This is the king's English. This is the highest English you'll ever speak, right here. So what do you think Satan wants to do? He wants to dumb it down. He wants to change it. He wants to mess with the pure words of God so that you don't know what God said. Yea, hath God said. Amen? All right, let's continue on here. Romans 3.3, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? What didn't they believe? They didn't believe the oracles of God. Not even his own disciples believed him. Right, we talked about the resurrection, the death, burial, resurrection. Not even, not even his own disciples believed him until after the resurrection. See, you've got to believe what God said. People all the time looking at, trying to look for signs, wonders, and miracles when they don't need to do that. All they got to do is put faith in the Word of God. Let's go to Second Peter. Second Peter. look at verse uh, 2 Peter 1 15 moreover I will endeavor that ye may be able to after my decease to to have these things always in remembrance If we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty when was that Matthew 17 the Mount of Transfiguration they got to see his majesty when he was transformed before them right so they saw that event this is peter okay look at verse 17 for he for he received from god the father honor and glory when there comes such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, now, the scripture is of any private interpretation, that's why you got to compare scripture with scripture, to get the interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but, by, but holy men of God spake, is it removed by the Holy Ghost? You have a more sure word, of prophecy, a more sure word of prophecy than what? Than even his revelation on top of the holy mount. So we've seen the mount of transfiguration. We saw we saw him mat- manifested in his glory. But he esteems his word higher than his own name. You can trust what the book says. Amen. You've heard this a lot of times, right? When you read the book, you don't read it. It reads you, right? Here's one last thing I'll, I'll leave with you. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, right? We've quoted that verse ad nauseum, right? For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Say that word, discerner? here's the Greek again here it is kritikos it's where you get the word critic it's a critic of the thoughts and intents of your heart so when you read the book it's discerning the thoughts and intents of your heart so you better have the right book or are you gonna be fouled up in your thinking. Amen. Alright. Criticos. It's critic. Alright. I think we'll leave it there for today. So that Jew was getting, given something special. The problem is they didn't believe what it said. America was given something special. The problem is people don't believe what it says. What does it say? Not what you think it says. What does it say? Amen? All right, let's go ahead and we'll end there. Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this more sure word of prophecy you've given to us, Lord. We just thank you for we thank you for Calvary. We thank you for, the, for your truth. I thank you for saving me. And, Father, I thank you for all those today in attendance. I just pray that uh, you'd help them and edify them, lift them up, and help them learn the word of God, Lord. And As you showed me, I just pray that you'd help me to show them. And Father, I just pray for the service, pray for the singing today, pray for the choir, and pray for Brother Barry as he comes up here and stands one more time. And I pray for our pastor and his family. Lord, just pray that you continue to lift them up. And uh, we we'll give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. All right. Any questions? Quickly. Nobody? saw. A hand? No. No hands. Okay. You're dismissed then.
2: started this morning. If you're visiting with us here at Temple and Fountain City, you are our honored guests. It's, It's good to have you. Just join in with us in our worship service. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Amen. All right. church animal. In- Anybody visiting with us this morning first time, we'd like to raise your hand and we'll give you a card. let you fill it out. All right. Some folks down here in the front. Anyone else with us first time today? Were you folks from here? West Virginia? All right. Good to have you. Make yourself right at home. All right. We'll meet again this evening, 6 o'clock for the evening service and then Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for prayer meeting. would like to welcome all the folks watching online. Wherever they may be, God knows. If you'll get online, go to YouTube, look at some of the videos that are uploaded. You're amazed. It's amazing at the places in the world that watch this. People all over the world right now can watch this live as it goes out streaming. Technology can be used for good or bad. Just depends on what you want. Amen. Keep okay,
1: this morning fellowship shake hands as the choir comes down
2: Seated. <clears throat> Have the ushers come up here this morning and take up the offering. If y'all remember Jean Golden this morning? She's at home, and but she needs prayer, folks. She's been having a battle the last few days. Please pray for her, Jean Golden. Lift her up before the Lord. Brother MacLeod, lead us in prayer. morning, because Shelly Lee and Andrea Martin are going to be singing for us.
3: I thank the Lord for saving me thank the Lord for dying on that cross for me and for keeping me and for everything he's been showing me each and every day. He's a merciful God and I love him with all my heart. Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before when they asked me what had happened i tried to tell them thanks to calvary i don't come here anymore Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the one I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And as the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Today I went back to the house where I used to live. My little boy, he ran in behind the door. I said, "Son, have no fear. You've got a new mama now. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here." anymore thanks to calvary i'm not the mom i used to be thanks to calvary things are different than before and as the tears ran down my face i tried to tell him thanks to calvary We don't live here anymore, because he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul, something wonderful.
4: they became as dead men. When they found the tomb was empty, where Jesus had been, God sent an earthquake i mm-hmm.
2: If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 12, the message this morning is the unpardonable sin. I want you to think on that, the unpardonable sin, Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 31, the divine text says, wherefore I say to you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Father, bless this word now. Lord, give this messenger unction so that I can preach it. In thy name I pray, amen. You can be seated. I admit freely at the very beginning of this that this is heavy stuff but it's very important of all the preaching that i've done for 47 years in this church i'll never preach a message that's more important than what you're going to hear right now it's very important as a matter of fact i'll try to touch on some of the main points to give you kind of a panoramic view of what's going on there's a lot of issues involved but i only call you attention to the text itself for what it says in verse number 32 Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. What does that mean? But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world nor the world to come. Now there are those who say that if you speak against tongues, that you've committed the unpardonable sin. There are those that say if you speak against the gifts of the Spirit as they define them, then you have committed the unpardonable sin. Of course, when you make a statement like that, then you give carte blanche to anything that you decide to do and call it the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We'll leave that where it is. But here this morning, I want to talk about something that's far more important than whether you speak in tongues or not, and that is the eternity of your soul, the eternity of where you're going when you leave this world where are you going? The Lord Jesus Christ said something here in Matthew chapter number 12 that begs us to deal with it. There is a sin so heinous that there is no forgiveness for it. Just the other day, this young woman in Georgia was mercilessly murdered. I don't know exactly the details involved with it, but this man came up from, came across the border, illegal alien, and he murdered this young woman and took her life away from her. That is a heinous sin. My dear friend, that's the kind of sin where you should forfeit your life for taking the life of that young woman like that. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, it says in the book of Moses. And so, my dear friend, anyone would have no problem by saying that certainly is a heinous sin. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the unpardonable sin. When you deal with Manasseh in the Old Testament, a king who had apostatized, he was born of Hezekiah during that period of time where God added years to the life of Hezekiah. He was a reprobate and a godless man. And there was no way you would imagine that God could forgive the sin of a man like that who was involved in child sacrifice, letting babies be burned to Moloch he got that from solomon who brought it into the country you'd say surely there could be no forgiveness for a heinous sin like that but that's not the unpardonable sin when david committed adultery with bathsheba and then allowed his one of his one of his troops one of his officers to be on the front line withdraw his troops from him and let Uriah die at the hands of the enemy, knowing that what was going to happen, that was a heinous sin. It was treachery in its worst form, but that is not the unpardonable sin. I talked to a man on the phone the other day for at length and prayed with him, and he was, he was literally, he was, he was tortured by a sin that he had committed decades ago, a long time ago, and it was literally eating away at his very soul. And he said said to me he thought he had committed a sin that God could not forgive. That is not the unpardonable sin. It is therefore important for us to understand that the unpardonable sin must be something that is so heinous, so vile, so corrupt that in the eyes of God, there is no way in the world that he would forgive it. There sitting in here this house this morning. Maybe you're watching this thing online. Maybe you've committed something in the past and it eats you alive 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. You've carried it all of your life and it's eating at you and eating at you and eating at you. And Satan of course is using it to beat you to death. And you believe that you've committed this unpardonable sin. Well, I'm going to tell you something this morning. You listen carefully to what I'm preaching, and I believe you'll find out that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Why? Because you're breathing, and you're here, and you're listening to what this preacher has to say. You are not forgiven because you live right. There's a lot of people that are preaching that garbage to people and they say well if you live right in the sight of God and do the right things then God will forgive you he doesn't forgive you because of how you live that's a reward and forgiveness is not based on a reward there are those that believe you're forgiven because, because that you give you sacrifice I mean you've paid I mean you've you know you've sacrificed your life for the Lord therefore God is obligated to forgive you when you pray no not in any sense because That is purchasing the forgiveness, and God does not repay forgiveness like that. Then you there are those that believe that forgiveness uh, is uh, because of somebody's what they've said over you or what they've done to you or you've been accepted into a group or you've been confirmed or this or that. Someone's laid hands upon you and you felt good about it when it happened. But my dear friend, that has to do with men, that has to do with presumption, and it has nothing to do with the actual forgiveness of sin. So what is it, dear preacher friend, that causes us to be able to be forgiven? What is the basis of our forgiveness? What washes our sins away? What, what is the only thing in this sight of God that can remove guilt, condemnation from a man? That my friend is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only name on the face of this earth where God will forgive sin only by his son. The Apostle Paul in the third chapter of the book of Romans, in only three verses, loads it with powerful statements by saying this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified (coughs) freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. I, I say to you this morning that this apostle loaded these few verses with powerful statements. He said this, being just, Justified freely by his grace. That's a legal declaration. In a court of law, as far as God's concerned, you are no longer guilty. Satan can no longer condemn you for what you've done. The Bible says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, he redeemed you, bought you back. You'll belong to him now. You don't belong to yourself any longer. Satan doesn't own you. The Lord Jesus Christ owns me, lock, stock, and barrel. The Bible says, and has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation has to do with the relationship of one with another. It is an appeasement. It has something to ta- take away the wrath, something to take away the condemnation, the feelings of one toward another, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their pass- trespasses unto them. That is the propitiation. The Lord Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that makes peace between God and man. And then the Bible says to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is not your righteousness. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is not attained by man. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't ta- You can't have it. The only way that that righteousness could ever work for you is if you are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Once you are put in Christ, his righteousness is set to your account and covers your sins. And the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is a unique righteousness. It's a righteousness unlike any righteousness on the face of this earth. It is the righteousness of an obedient a man who was sinless, who lived a sinless, obedient life 2,000 years ago, and he obtained by his Perfect life a righteousness that did not exist until that time and it is the righteousness of the God-man There is everything else is a joke compared to his righteousness The finest man that ever lived on this earth whoever he might be is still a joke Compared to the righteousness of the Son of God his righteousness is pure and holy and undefiled And the only way that that righteousness will count for you is if by faith you receive him into your soul and he receives you into him. So the apostle Paul makes it clear that this righteousness is something that we can have. Now, don't you look at men, for example. Look at the Jewish leaders of the day in Matthew chapter number 12, verse 14. The scripture says that they set about to destroy him. They wanted to do away with the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, was it because he was some uh, horrible criminal? No, in John 11, verse number 48, it gives you the motive of why they wanted to do away with Christ. Here's what they said. Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council, and said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Now watch this. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Did you notice that? It had nothing to do with high morality. It had nothing to do with a righteous obedience unto God. It had everything to do with their own personal place. And this was their motive in rejecting Christ. You see, my dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ searches the heart and the soul and the reins. The living son of God, once you're presented with him, goes deep into the very soul of who you are and he goes there by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one with the Lord Jesus Christ that searches the reins, tries the heart, reads the mind, judges the life and the motives. The Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, by his very being, becomes the judge of all men. Not that he judges them actively, it's simply the fact that he exists. And once you are presented with Christ, He becomes a judge of all that is in your life. So the Jewish leaders rejected him. The Jewish people said in John 19, verse number 15. In John chapter 19, verse 15, look at this. The scripture says, but they cried out, out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. There is Caesar, Caesar. He's always been around. He'll always be around. Well, that was to know, my dear friend, Caesar is as much on his throne today as he was 2000 years ago. Nothing has changed. If you want some of the greatest wisdom that you'll ever get, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it rises no higher than what I'm about to tell you. If you're a wise person this morning and have half a brain, you'll hear what I'm about to say. You render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. The Lord Jesus said that, amen, 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 and amen. And so what Caesar giveth, Caesar can take away. Caesar has his rex Romana. What is that? That is the king. Caesar has his lex Romana. What is that? That's his law. Caesar has his pox Romana. What is that? That is his peace. He controls every part, every aspect, every piece of your being, of your coming and your going. And if let alone, Caesar will absolutely and completely take you and dominate every part of your being. This is why you live in a republic governed by law. Go to that law and go to the founding fathers and resurrect once again the purpose of this great nation and what it's all about, amen. And I'm not talking Republican and I'm not talking Democrat, I'm talking American, amen. And then there is Christ. Let's look at him in Luke chapter number 23 and verse number 34, look what it says. Luke 23 verse number 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and they parted his raiment and cast lots for it now i want you to buckle up with me because we're about to delve into it now in luke chapter number 23 he said father forgive them for they know not what they do what he said was are ignorant forgive them did you hear that they are ignorant forgive them we're talking about the unpardonable sin did they speak a word against the son of god Did this crowd standing at the foot of the cross yell at him? Did they mock him? Did they make fun of him? Sure they did. They cursed him. No question about it. In the book of Acts chapter number 9, the Bible says Saul of Tarsus had gone and he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. He was in a rage is what that word breathing means. Was he screaming against the Lord Jesus Christ? Was he threatening his name? Was he speaking a word against the Son of God? Of course he was. Absolutely he said later on in the book of Acts, I thought within myself to do such and so an awful lot of stuff gets done because someone thinks within themselves and they take it as the word of God. Try the spirits, dear friend. That's one of the marks of maturity is when you begin to try them. Oh, I hear voices preacher. Yeah, I hear voices too. We all hear voices. Sometimes we had bad supper. Sometimes we had pizza. Some of this, that, this, that, this, that. But sometimes it may be the voice of God, but you need to know how to try the spirits. Amen. That's very important. Breathing out. But you notice a very interesting thing. Very interesting. You don't have to be told that you're a sinner. You know that by nature. And God does not have to tell you that you are a sinner. You know that by nature. Now these are two strong things I just said to you. They're very powerful statements. You don't have to be told by the Lord God himself that you're a sinner, do you? No, 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 no. You say, I met somebody that says they're not a sinner. They're ready for the funny farm. I want to be as nice as I know how. You're crazy. You, you've lost it. You've gone off the deep end. You're living in a make-believe fantasy world. Go tell that to a 20-year-old, not a 77-year-old. I've been in this world way too long. I know people. A perfect man is not walking the face of this earth. We are sinners to the very core. But by the grace of God, we can have fellowship with the Lord. That's what 1 John 1 is about. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves. The Bible says if you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar. So keep that in mind. So you say, well, then what's the point then? It's useless. Oh, no, 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 no. There's power in what I'm saying to walk with the Lord. So you don't need God to tell you that you're a sinner. Now look at John chapter number 16, verse number seven. Don't forget what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the unpardonable sin. John chapter 16, verse number seven john sixteen seven. nevertheless i tell you the truth it is expedient for you that i go away for if i go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if i depart i will send him unto you and when he is come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment now get those three right there they're very important folks he will reprove the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now the simple statement in verse number nine, look carefully. He didn't say that he would reprove the world of sins. Satan will have you running after your sins. Satan will wear you out about your sins. But he'll never take you to the one who can take care of the sins. The Lord Jesus Christ is not nearly as concerned about sins as he is the sin. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the what? Sin Sin of the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins unto them, but hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to deal with the issue of. Sin. Individual sins will be taken care of once the sin is taken care of. This is why the Holy Spirit came. He came for a specific reason, a ministry to deal with the hearts of men about the issue of sin. Not sins. This is not condoning sins. But the problem with men, and I know men, and you know them too, and you know yourself everybody's got their list of do's and don'ts. Everybody's got their list of the things that they do and the things that they don't do and there are no two lists to agree unless you live at, unless you go to a church where everybody's brainwashed and only one person's doing the thinking and everybody everybody uh, come, everybody uh, uh, copies what's coming out of the pulpit. No you all have your list. You all have your convictions. You all have certain things you do and you don't do. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things, but these things, dear friend, have nothing to do with your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord is based upon who Jesus Christ is in your soul and your life. Amen who is he to you? Convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. You see it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is the message of the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Ghost comes, you'll always know it because Christ is glorified and he's made real to you. Amen. It's as clear as you sitting in this house this morning. If the Holy Spirit of God comes to you, it won't be that you'll be saying, well, i have the spirit here, the spirit there, this, that. No, it'll be Christ in you who comes alive. There can be joy. There can be conviction. There can be perseverance. There can be everything that goes with the fruit of the spirit, but the spirit will always glorify Christ, the Lord Jesus. So when he has come, he will convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. I want you to notice what he says here now, that's important. Verse number eight, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What do you mean of righteousness? He will reprove this world of the world's righteousness compared to the righteousness of a sinless, perfect man. Don't compare yourselves with yourselves, you're not wise. You can always find some poor old slob in worse shape than you are. There's always some old devil out there that you can kick around and make you pump up your self-righteous ego, feel good. You have been in churches where it's full of self-righteous ego? You have been around them? You talk about a dead bunch. That's as dead as it comes. Amen. Give me a bunch of sinners that know how to get right with God. I'll take it any day of the week. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) And so he says here, he will reprove the world of sin because they believe not only of righteousness and then of judgment. This has to do with the God-man. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world 2,000 years ago, he won the qualifications. He became qualified to judge Satan and men as a man. Amen. (laughs)
1: Let
2: that sink in. Your judgment at the judgment seat of Christ will be by the God-man. The man Christ Jesus, there's one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and men. Amen, the confessional booth. That's not it, prayer meeting. That's not it, pastor, deacon board. That's not it, there is one God, one mediator between God and men. What does it say? The man. Christ Jesus. He has earned the right to represent all mankind in the sight of God. He has earned the right to judge all mankind in the sight of God and he came into Satan's territory as a man, and he defeated Satan as a man, and in his weakness he went to the cross, and there at the cross he made a show of him openly, and Satan lost the battle to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we're talking about, and this is so important, this is so important. It seems so simple, in some ways it is, but it is so important. So therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit of God is to make the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything there is about who you are or want to be and what your, your sins, they're all related to him in one way or another. Can he cleanse me? Can he forgive me? Can he redeem me? Can he restore me? Yes, he can. He can. You can't restore yourself. A man can't restore you, but Christ Jesus the Lord can. Now, in the book of Romans chapter number 10, which is a powerful statement that has to do with the righteousness of Christ. Here's what it says. Romans chapter number 10. Romans 10 and look at this in verses 6 through 8. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is Lord is what that means. He's the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Now look at this text in Romans 10. Who shall ascend into the mountain of the hill of God, it says in the Old Testament? He that is righteous. In plain words, the apostle Paul is telling you in Romans 10 that if you believe in your heart that Christ was so perfect, so holy because of the sinless life that he lived, that he can ascend into the very presence of God by faith in that righteousness, you can be saved. That's what he's telling you. And he's telling you that if you do not believe that you may believe he's a good teacher, you may believe he's a great man, but if you do not believe in his righteousness where he could ascend into the presence of God, you're not saved, you can't be saved. What you've done is reject the witness of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into in just a moment. The prince of this world is judged his religions, his wisdom, his person and everything that has to do with him. It's all judged. Now, listen carefully, to my statement. Just breathe for a second when I tell you this. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God if he's not present. Okay. Let that sink in. If the Holy Spirit of God is not present, there can be no conviction. Conviction comes from God. It doesn't come from your feeling bad about what you've done. Everybody can feel bad about what they've done. Their conscience can give them remorse. Okay. It takes far more than your conscience to get you right with God. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll send the Spirit. And when he has come, John chapter number 16, he will guide you into all truth. We have a tendency in our proud arrogance to think that we can organize and we can set about to get something done for God. And we can just go push our way into it and get it done, you know, and so forth and so on. You can't do it because you cannot do what only the Holy Spirit can do. We need to be praying seriously about the Holy Spirit of God coming down upon sinners. That's what happened to me in 1973. One day I'm sitting here, I'm lost without God. I have no, I have no desire for God. I'm just as dead in my sins as I can possibly be. And the next day something came on me that I had never had come on me before. I was under conviction. My world turned dark. I had a dread and a fear come up in my soul. Something had was changed inside me. I had to have peace. I had to get out of it. I had to do something about this. Didn't make any difference what people thought. I couldn't live like this. And all I had to do was bow my head and Lord Jesus come into my soul, cleanse me and save me. And I raised my head back up and it's all gone. And I've been a new creature in Christ Jesus ever since then. That's conviction. They don't preach conviction anymore. Churches don't preach anything about conviction because they don't preach anything about repentance. They don't preach of repentance and they don't preach conviction because they don't preach the new birth. The reason your pastor is not preaching the new birth is because he's never been born again. The reason the pastors, the ministers, the bishops of these assemblies out here are not preaching the new birth to people because they've never been saved. Sure, they've been to Bible college. Sure, they've been to seminaries. Sure, they've been taught. Sure, they know all of that stuff. Sure, they do. And there's nothing wrong with it. I've been through it too. But my dear friend, that does not make you saved. Amen. Amen. Now, think what I just told you. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's no conviction. There is no conviction. There is none. When the gospel is preached, the living word brings the living spirit. That brings us to the Gospel. Listen carefully to the statement now. The Gospel is the final witness and testimony to Christ's finished work. I want to ask you a question. I know I'm going to be mean for a minute, but I want you to answer me. Did the disciples believe that Christ would rise from the dead before the resurrection? Were they believers though? Sure they were. Simon Peter, flesh and blood, hath not, revealed that to you, my Father, which is in heaven. All right. But it was a limited knowledge. It was a limited understanding. See, in John chapter number 20 and verse number 9, it says, They knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Even though he told them, they still could not take hold of it. And, of course, all of you know the story of Thomas. All right. But here's the, I'm making a point. I mean, I'm trying to show you progression now. Look at progression, all right? Now, it wasn't until after the resurrection that the message became clear. They saw him once he had risen from the dead and now he was alive. There was no question about it. He was alive. Now, look what Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 15. This is after the resurrection. This is after the ascension. This is after the glorification. This is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. This is Christ now, the Lord Jesus, waiting until he comes back again to receive us into himself. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to declare unto you the gospel. All right, here's the gospel, Paul said. Post resurrection gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you've received and where you stand. Now, watch how simple this is now. By which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now look at this for I delivered in you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died, he was buried and he rose again. Now before we jump further, Hold on a minute. Does anything change about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter number 16? When he has come, he'll convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. No, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. This gospel is a verbal declaration of the finished work of Christ, what he did at the cross. It's done, but the work of the Holy Spirit is inside the heart. Here's a picture of it. Look at the book of Acts. There's a fellow over there by the name of Felix. You heard about Felix? Felix. Acts chapter 24 and verse number 25. Now, if you look at verse 24 in the text, it says, In certain days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. All right, here we are. Here's the faith in Christ. See? See? Alright, now the Apostle Paul is not preaching like you're reading in 1 Corinthians 15, to, recorded, but he certainly has preached the gospel to him. There's no doubt in my mind, he preached the gospel to Felix. How many of you believe that he believed the death, preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to Felix? Well, what would he preach? Of course he did. But look, how it, look, how it, look, look what it did to Felix. This is the work of the Holy Spirit now. You remember John 16? Look at this. Verse number 25, and as he reasoned of righteousness, whose righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The ancient historians say this of Felix. He reveled in cruelty and lust and wielded the power of a king with a mind of a slave. That's Felix. Now, do you see what's going on? There's a dual thing going on here, okay? Here's the dual thing. The Apostle Paul preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. If he didn't preach that, he didn't preach the gospel. But when he preached that, the Holy Spirit of God did his work inside the heart. See that? He did his work inside the heart of Felix. See? And he brought righteousness, temperance, and judgment. See that? See the work? there's the dual work. There's the preaching of the, of the gospel. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit who takes that preaching of the gospel and he goes inside that individual and he begins to plow (laughs) and he begins to open him up. That's what happened to Felix. I doubt if he'd ever had this happen before. This man was trembling. He's a procurator and he's trembling. He's shaking. Why? Because he has now come under conviction. He's a prime candidate now to be saved. He could have been saved right on the spot. The Apostle Paul preached to him. He could have been saved, but he wasn't, was he? And there's no text, there's nothing in the scripture anywhere that tells us that he ever did, or in secular history. It's a sad thing because he was given the opportunity. And there he was. Of course, you know, hyper-Calvinism wouldn't appreciate this a bit, but the truth of the matter is, he was given the opportunity and he rejected it. So how did he die? What kind of sin did he commit here? What kind of sin did Felix commit? Unpardonable, folks. There's no pardon. There's no pardon, right? Because there's nothing greater. There's no higher court. There's nothing higher than that. The Lord Jesus Christ is the end of all. He's it. He's it. That's as high as you go. You don't go any higher. You've rejected him. That's it. There's nowhere left. You reject him based upon the fact that you have been convicted by the Holy Ghost and been given the opportunity to believe and that's something. So this preacher and of course, you know, you don't have to agree with me, but this preacher believes that to leave this world in a state of unbelief in Christ, to reject him, to knowingly reject him, having been convicted and the Holy Ghost has come upon you and brought conviction and you willfully, knowingly reject that and die in that state. Got no hope. There's no hope. Neither in this world or the world to come. Anybody in the house this morning? Has God spoken to you? Have you been convicted this morning? Has, Has he taken all of your religion and said, it's not worth it, is it? All your religious experience, it's no good because look at your life. You have no fruit. You've never had any joy in Christ. He's never really been what he should be in your life, but he can be. Hallelujah, he can be. Say, how can he's alive? That's how he can be. Amen. Would you like to come down here this morning and have someone pray with you? We'd be glad to. We'd be glad to. This is what this is all about. That's what the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is, folks, as far as I'm concerned. That's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. Let's bow your heads for a minute. Father, in my holy name, Lord, I brought what you gave me. I got peace, Lord, as any messenger would have. Lord, I've delivered my soul. Now I can go home and rest. But I pray for your word now as it goes forth. I pray it will, it will accomplish that which you please. We've sowed good seed. We've put the word out now. The word will do the job. Oh, yes, it will. They may not respond right now. They, they may not. But they may go home or they may go to work tomorrow. They may get in the car about driving. And then this begins to speak to them and it starts working on them. And they begin to think about this. That's good. That's a good thing. And it brings them to the point of where they need to make a decision because they get gets a hold of them. And they've got to do something about it. Anybody raise your hand. Don't mind looking, but just raise your hand and say, preacher, I, you know, you got my attention this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I'm glad that's that's what I'm here for Got your attention and something something's resonating with you isn't it something speaking to you something's something's beginning to take root in your soul God bless you God bless you well that's a good thing folks that's good thing good thing good 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 I'm explaining it very plainly as I know how I am NOT the Savior I cannot save you I'm the messenger Christ is the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, and oh, what a Savior he is, hallelujah to God, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior, anybody else raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher, anybody, pray for me, I will, I'll be glad to, Lord, we pray now, pray for those who raise their hand, the house today, we pray for them. Lord Jesus, your word has gone forth. It way past me. It's past any ability I have. It's way past me. Your word has gone forth. Now bless it, Lord, and anoint it. Give it unction. In thy name I pray. Amen. All right, let's stand up here this morning, brother, and sing. Three, two, eight, and now, Amen. Amen. you wouldn't believe the time that I spend sitting around meditating and praying and thinking about stuff like what I preached you this morning. Oh yeah, I do. I spend time. I think about that. I think about it. I really do. I really do. You've heard the word. I know the Holy Ghost is in here. Let's pray the Holy Ghost will come to you personally. Amen, because, I mean, you can go to a church service and people are rejoicing all around you and you're sitting there twice dead and plucked up by the roots and it doesn't do a thing for you. That can happen. Sure it can. I know that. Well, let's pray the Holy Spirit's able to get a hold of you this morning. Sing another verse. Sing another one. Sing another one. the world of sin because they believe not on me he said. The sin of unbelief. time now the sin of unbelief set in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit of God to convict that's the full statement and that's important to understand it in that context the sin of unbelief set in the context of the rejection of the light that comes to you by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God there's no greater sin than that folks none, none. and there's no pardon for it they going to have choir practice this afternoon at uh, five o'clock and uh, brother, I'd uh, like to meet, if anybody would like to pray, at 445 uh, before the choir practice. And the choir, man, I'm telling you the truth, the choir's been doing good. This choir is doing good. I'd uh, love to hear it sing. Amen. Been, been doing good. Had good special singing this morning, didn't we? Yes. yes, we did. I enjoyed that. That was real good. Amen. All right, well, let's keep that in mind this coming, uh, this evening at 6 be the evening service. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll let you go if uh, if everybody's ready. Is everybody ready to go? <laughs> God bless you, folks. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for letting us meet in your house. You've been good to us. You've been good to me. I could praise you for a million years, not even begin. You've been good to me. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, remember Jean. You can heal her. You can heal her, Lord. You can heal her. We pray you'd heal her. You said by your straps we're healed. Lord, touch Jean. Raise her up, Father. And then a special request in my family. You know what it is, Lord. You know, you know who it is. Oh God. Oh God. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be careful, folks. Be careful.